We are going to be digging into the book of Galatians next. So go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 1. And we're going to be working verse, kind of verse by verse uh, through this book over the next several weeks. And just really trying to press down on what is the gospel. And more importantly, how is the gospel impactful for our lives today? What does it mean for us on the day-to-day in and out of our lives? And what does it mean for us to follow Christ and to believe these things and, and all of that? And we want to just get a really solid foundation for ourselves on when it comes to the gospel. And I think Galatians is going to be super helpful in doing that together. So um, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 is where we're going to dive in this morning. So if, I, I'm sure you have noticed this as well, but people tend to broadcast what they're most into, right? The things that are kind of most important to them or most important to us, they kind of get the, the, the obvious attention, right? Because they usually make it obvious by the way they talk or the things they do or kind of whatever it is that first stands out about them, right? And so like, for example, um, this guy and his sweet ride tells you exactly what he's all about, right? Uh, I've actually seen a version of this car in my neighborhood. It's not this one because I haven't seen him, but uh, obviously he is all in on the Cardinals, right? Like he, that's his team. He is, he is sold out uh, for the Cardinals or Let's say you walked into someone's house, and um, this was how they decorated their bedroom. Um, like, it's pretty clear, right? Like, hunting is a big deal for them, right? When you start decorating in, in camo, like, there's something to that. Like, you're telling the world, I'm in on that, right? Or if every time you see somebody, they always have one of these in their hand. Um, some of you know who I'm talking about. Some of you are who I'm talking about, right? Like they're, they're telling you, this is my go-to. This, this is my, my thing. And uh, we might need, you know, an intervention or some detox or something, but we broadcast what it is we're all about, don't we? In all these different ways, what we wear, how we talk, what we do, what we spend our time on, we get it. Whatever we love, whatever we value most, whatever we enjoy most, we tend to highlight with our lives. As we dive into Galatians today, Paul is going to clearly broadcast what he values most in the opening sentence. Like, he doesn't wait. He doesn't, like, get some niceties in there first. He just goes straight in, first thing, here's what I'm all about. And in doing so, he provides an example for us to follow on what should be first in our lives as well. He's going to teach us today that we need to live so they see Christ first. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, Our lives should be lived in such a way that they see Christ first before anything or anyone else. So with that, go ahead and look at verse 1. And Paul starts off like this. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is the opening to Paul's letter, and the first thing we learn from this is point number one, live through Christ's power, not man's power. Live through Christ's power and not man's power. I know sometimes when you read uh, Paul's letters, you kind of feel like the first couple verses, and sometimes even the last couple verses are kind of just like gimmies, right? They're kind of like throwaways. They're like, yeah, yeah, Paul, or you're right in the Galatia. Okay, got it, moving on. But no, no, not this one. 
for sure not this one. Because Paul is already diving in first thing. He starts off, he says, Paul, an apostle. Now let's talk about that word apostle for a moment because it is sometimes highly contested in the church today. What does that mean? What's that look like? What's that all about? So apostle in its basic definition simply means a sent one. Apostle is a messenger that's sent out by someone else with a, a purpose and a message to share. Interestingly enough, in the Jewish context where Paul came from, um, the, apostle, the word apostle was primarily connected to like the Jewish religious leaders or perhaps even the Sanhedrin sending out people to do the work of their, re, their leadership or their religion. In fact, ironically enough, Paul was actually an apostle before he met Jesus. He was just an apostle for the Jewish people when he was going out to persecute Christians and try to stomp out this sect of religion that the Jews were having an issue with. But Jesus used the word apostle a little bit different. You see, Jesus, when he used it, he selected 12 specific guys out of this whole group of followers that he had. He picked 12 guys to be the main guys, to be the leaders who would carry on the mission, carry on the message that he had taught, and he called them apostles, right? And so these 12 guys were the ones that he, and he um, gave special um, you know, power to and special authority to to take this mission, and so it kind of became like an official title for them. All right, so apostle in that sense were those who had seen and, and knew the resurrected Jesus and had been selected by him and sent out with the message. And so we call them the big A apostles, all right? They're, they're the capital A title apostles. And then you also have in the New Testament other places where it uses the word apostle, but it's talking more in general, like, like general messengers, general servants of the church who had a gifting maybe to share the, the gospel or had a task that they had been given to go out and share in a specific way. And they were also called apostles, but it was like small a apostles, right? Like they, it wasn't a title for them. It was more like a job description, right? Like this is what you're doing. This is, where we're, this is what we're sending you to do. And so you see both of those in the New Testament pop up here. In this situation right here, um, oh, I'm sorry, back up before I get to that. So the big question today in the church is this, um, are there apostles today? There are no big A apostles today. No more of that, okay? Like, none of us saw the resurrected Jesus. He didn't specifically send any of us. Like, we're not big A apostles. We don't get to do that. But there are still people in the church today who have apostolic gifting, right? They have been gifted by the Lord in some specific way to to specifically communicate the gospel and to lead others to Christ and to go out into the world with the message. And so they would be small a apostles today in the church with that apostolic gifting. And honestly, in some way, all of us who are Christians are kind of small a apostles because we all have this mission to go out and share our faith and share the gospel with other people that God has placed around us, right? So we've got that going on. But here when Paul says, I'm an apostle, it's going to be very clear in a moment. He's talking big A apostle, okay? He didn't cap- they didn't capitalize it in our translation here, but for the sake of title, he's calling himself an apostle. He says this, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. So Paul makes an extended statement here about his apostleship that he doesn't make in any of his other letters. If you take all his letters and you compare the intros, he calls himself an apostle a couple different times, but here he goes into more depth, which points to one of the main purposes of this letter. Right? We're going to be studying the whole letter. So one of the main purposes is to defend his apostleship. 
And he needs to defend it because he's also therefore um, defending the validity and the authority of his teaching. Right? If he's a big A apostle, then he comes with the authority and the teaching of Jesus Christ. And what's happened is there's been some false teachers who have come into Galatia after he left and are saying, oh, he's not really an apostle. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Everything he says is wrong. And they're teaching a different message than what Paul had taught. And so Paul's using this letter to defend that he truly is an apostle and that his teaching is true to the Lord Jesus. Um, So Paul's main defense of his apostleship is his conversion on the Damascus Road that we find in Acts chapter 9. And if you're not familiar with that, you can go read that later. Acts chapter 9 tells you the story of his conversion experience where he personally saw the resurrected Jesus Christ and was called by him to go to the Gentiles and take the message of the gospel. In that moment, he became an apostle just like the original 12 who saw the resurrected Christ and were sent out with a message. And for him, him, him defending his apostleship here is, it's not a pride thing. It's not like, these are my churches, and I, like, you can't come here. And, like, it's not about his pride. It's not a self-serving type of defense. He, he's defending his apostleship because it was about his Savior. You see, his understanding of who Jesus was and what Jesus called him to do was central to everything about his life. It was the foundation of his identity, of his ministry, of everything that he gave himself to came back to the fact that he met Jesus and Jesus called him to share the gospel with the lost world. And so because it's at the heart of everything that Paul was giving his life to, he says very clearly here, hey, I'm not living, I'm not doing this, I'm not walking around planting churches because some man told me to go do it. It's because the power of Jesus Christ met me and changed me and sent me out. He says, not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So not just Jesus, not just the Messiah, but God himself, God the Father, the same God that these Jewish critics, these false teachers, that they claim to worship. He's like, you know, your God, he's the one who told me to do this. <laughs> like, he's the one who sent me out, the almighty God of the universe. And so if you've got a problem, if you want to have an argument, you've got to argue with him. Right? That's what Paul's saying. Like, this is, this is what you're up against if you want to try to fame my apostleship in my teaching so and not just him but also he says who raised christ from the dead so he's pointing here to the divine power the divine authority that raised jesus back to life that's the god who gave him the power to go out with this message and share the gospel so paul knew he knew that his calling was secure because it came from the all-powerful god and no one could take that away Now, while none of us today are big A apostles like Paul was, like none of us were called in that same way, if you're in the room today and you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been called. You have been called to be a disciple of Christ and to share your faith and to continue to make more disciples of Christ. We all have that. We are all called by that same Jesus, and therefore we all have the same power of Christ through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And that power, that same resurrection power that powered Paul, should be the foundation of our lives just as much as it was the foundation of his life. This is what it all comes down to. 
everyone around us should know that the life that we live is not by the power of man. It's not according to the teaching of man. It's not according to the instruction or the calling of man. It's by the power of Jesus Christ. And if that's not clear in the way that we live, we're missing something about the Christian life. Paul front-loaded his faith and his reliance on the power of Jesus Christ in everything that he did. I think we've all been in this situation at some point, either as a child or as a parent or maybe as both. But imagine this. Like dad says to sister, go upstairs and tell your brother, stop bouncing that stinking ball against the wall in his room. Right? Like we've all had this, right? And so sister is super excited about this right now. So she marches up. She's going to get to tell brother what to do. So she goes up and she opens the door and she's like, stop bouncing the ball against the wall. And he says, no. I don't have to. You're not the boss of me, right? Of course. To which she gladly then yells down, Dad, he said he won't stop. Which Dad yells back, which now defeats the whole purpose of this practice, by the way. Like, if I'm having to yell anyways, why did I send you? Tell him I said so. She's like, Dad said so. And brother stops. Right? Now, from the first to the second, what changed? The message didn't change. Stop the ball. Didn't change. The messenger didn't change. It's still sister. Right? The activity didn't. The only thing that changed was the power, the authority by which the message was coming. And that power was channeled through sister to get to brother, and then he stopped. That's the picture that Paul's painting here. He's like, listen, this isn't my power. Doing this. I'm not out here doing this for me. I'm not doing this in my own strength and my own ability. I'm doing this because of the power of Jesus Christ is in me and flowing through me to do what he wants to do. He was reliant on that power to accomplish the mission. And likewise, every believer is called on mission by God and filled with his power to get it done. And so why do we so often fall back to relying on some other power in our lives. We rely on the power of our position or the power of our status or our title in order to to bring the authority to accomplish whatever it is in front of us or the power of our wealth and the the ability of our finances to get it done or sometimes sometimes it's even the power of just our physical strength and the intimidation of that or intelligence or charm or whatever it is you think that you're bringing to the table you're like yeah I can I, this I'm good at this I can do this and I can get it across the finish line and we try to do all these things that God's called us to do through some other power and the world looks at us and they're like yeah I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not buying it I'm not in they balk at it because they know they're like that, you're trying to do it in the same power that I'm trying to do it, and I know how bad it is, and I know how I fail, and I know how it's not going to work, and so I'm not, I'm not looking at you any different than anybody else. But when we walk in the power of Christ, when they see something supernatural different about our lives and working through us, that changes the game. And all of a sudden, God can do things that he can't do any other way. 
because we're relying on the power of Christ, not the power of ourselves. What power or authority leads my life? That's the question here. In the day-to-day, moment-to-moment, when you're stressed, when you're struggling, when things aren't going your way, when you've got a big project, when you've got some big goal out in front of you, what are you relying on? What are you turning to? What power, what authority are you hoping is going to get you through that? Is it something other than Jesus Christ? If so, we need a course correction. So Paul was dependent on the power of Christ. And then the second thing we see here in this intro, number two, live in Christ's deliverance, not the present evil age. Live in Christ's deliverance, not the present evil age. (coughs) Excuse me. Look back at uh, verse two. It says, to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So let me start by just addressing that, that line there where it says to the churches of Galatia. Because that's going to tell us who, who's Paul talking to here that's super important. So during this time period, the, word, the term Galatia was actually used to describe two different things. It could be used to describe a people group, like an ethnic people group that lived in this certain region. It could also be used to describe a political region of Rome, right, of the Roman Empire. This area, the Romans called Galatia, right? And so which one is Paul writing to? Who is he talking to here? Is it the people group or is it this somewhere in this region of Rome? Well, what we know from other parts of history in the New Testament is that, um, that he's writing here, or when we read the letter, we can tell he's writing to some people that he already knows, Right? He's writing to some churches that he's, he's been there, he knows them, they know him, he's, they're familiar. And when we look at the, the record of his, of his ministry, we see that the only record that we have of him visiting or planting any churches in the Galatia area is in, on his first missionary journey, when he tra- traveled through southern Galatia and planted three or four different churches there. So it seems like this letter is written to those churches, that he planted after his first missionary journey, which also helps us with the date of its writing. There's, a, there's you know, always debate, when was it written this year or that year, or when was, where does it fall in the thing? Based on the contents of the letter and based on the, the, the timeline of Acts, most likely this letter was written shortly after his first missionary journey. So pretty early. In fact, Galatia, Galatians was probably one of his earliest letters, if not his first letter, that got included in the New Testament. So shortly after his first missionary journey, and sometime before the Jerusalem Council, which is in Acts chapter 15, and that's Paul's third journey to Jerusalem. He's going to reference the first two journeys in the letter. The third one was Acts 15, Jerusalem Council. So sometimes before that, but after he planted the churches, which kind of puts us somewhere around 48 AD, was probably when the letter was written. All right, somewhere around 48 AD which is pretty early on, considering that Christ was probably crucified around 33 to 35, right? So this is pretty shortly after Christ has um, been resurrected and and went back to heaven. The other unique part about this letter, I'll just point out real quick, is notice he's writing here to the churches, plural, right? This is his only letter where he writes to churches instead of a single church or a single individual, at least that we have in the New Testament. And so what seems to have happened is these false teachers came through the entire region and they did the same thing in all these different churches that Paul planted in this region. They're all having the same issues now. 
So he's writing to all of them. They're supposed to kind of circulate the letter between the churches so that everybody can get to read it and get uh, what they need out of it. Okay? So he says, to the churches of Galatia, and then he says this, grace and peace. Now, Paul often starts his letters with those two words. And it's not simply because, like, it's a tradition or a call sign or whatever. He does this, again, to front load the gospel. Like, the first thing that he wants to put out there is, like, the gospel message that he so boldly proclaims and teaches everywhere he goes. He does that in two words. Grace, which is God's unmerited favor, freely given, and decisively effective for salvation. Right? Grace is the fact that God says, even though you're a sinner, I'm going to forgive that sin and I'm going to bring you into the family. It says grace and peace. Peace is the state of wholeness and freedom that we get to experience with God and with ourselves and with others that flows from this grace that we find in the gospel. So grace and peace are like the cause and the effect of the gospel, right? It's what starts it and what comes from it, what finishes it in our lives. And he says this grace and peace, it comes from our God and our Father because he's the only source for it. Paul's like, I've looked all over, I've explored all the options, God is the only place you're going to get grace and peace. And therefore, this gospel message that Paul proclaims, it comes directly from him. He says, from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. God grants us grace and peace, but only, say only, only, through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. The gospel starts with a holy God that is perfect and righteous in every way. And then humans that were made in his image chose to sin and rebel against him, to disobey his word, to violate what he put in front of us. And because of that, we deserve punishment. We deserve wrath. We deserve death. God extended grace by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth, to be born as a man, to live a perfect and sinless life. And then as the scripture says, to go to the cross and give himself for our sins. He gave his life to pay the debt that we owed. The death that we deserved, he took it upon himself, and he died in our place as a substitute, and he went into the grave. Three days later, he rose back to life proving that he was God, and then offering us forgiveness, that if we will turn away from our sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we will be forgiven, that we will experience grace and peace from God Almighty. This was the message that Paul was teaching. This is the message that he was preaching. This was the message that he was sharing everywhere we went. He went And this is the message that the false teachers were trying to refute, that they were trying to change. This is the message that the Galatians were starting to lose sight of, that was slipping away. And this is the message that Paul will spend the rest of this letter defending and proving once again. You see, the gospel was always Paul's primary and singular focus. He always put the gospel 
first. Because he knew it is the only way for us to be saved. Somebody here this morning needs to hear that. You've been looking at options. You've been trying to figure it out. You've been hearing everyone talk, well, you could do this or that. Like, it's your choice. That sounds great, but it's a lie. There is only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus Christ gave himself to deliver us from this present evil age. Now, I want to talk about this for just a moment here because this language is it's in the Bible quite a bit, but it may or may not be familiar to you depending on your background with church. So the Bible teaches here about two different ages in this world, okay? There's the present age that we live in now that is full of sin, full of decay, full of brokenness, full of all of this, the junk, right? And we're all like, yeah, right? Like, we see it, we feel it, like we, we, we know about that age. But he also talks, the Bible also talks about a, a future age that's going to be full of blessing and peace and favor with God. Now, the shift from the first age to the second age actually already started. It started at Jesus' resurrection. That when Jesus rose from the grave and declared victory over sin, he inaugurated, he started this new age, this future age that is coming. But the old age is not yet complete either. And so today, as Christians, we live in the tension of these two ages overlapping, right? The the new has started, but the old has not yet finished. And so we live kind of in between what we oftentimes call the no longer and the not yet. We are no longer slaves to sin Because of his death and his resurrection on our behalf, we no longer are slaves to the sin of this present age. We've been delivered from that, and yet we are not yet fully free and fully present in this future age where the effects of sin are gone. And we're only in the presence of Christ. And so we're living in this in-between. And because of that, as Christians today, for us to correctly understand and and to to interact with sin, we have to think about sin in three ways. Okay, Three facets of sin that we need to understand if we're going to walk with Christ in this present evil age. And the first one is this, the price of sin. You have to understand and believe that the price of sin has already been paid. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in him, the price of sin is already taken care of. It's already finished. Jesus paid for all of it on the cross. Every sin you will ever commit, past, present, future, paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ if you're a follower of him. It's done. It's finished. And yet, number two, we have the power of sin. The power of sin is still very much present in this evil age that we still live in. And yet, God has given us the Holy Spirit to progressively help us shed the power of sin in our lives. And to start to walk in more and more freedom. So it's still present, but it's diminishing. The more we walk with Jesus, the more we grow in faith, the more we follow his word, the more the power of sin diminishes in our lives. 
and we call that progressive sanctification. That over time, we become more like Christ, and we're able to shed the power of sin. But then thirdly, we have the presence of sin. And as long as we're in this present evil age, sin will be here. (laughs) Right? As long as humans are here, humans are going to human. Okay? Like, sin is going to be a thing. But we're awaiting the day. We're awaiting the day when Jesus returns and makes all things new and completely abolishes the presence of sin. And at that day, we will be in the future age and we will be free from all that sin has done and free from the things of this evil age. We will have eternal life in his presence forever. But all of this, first and foremost, requires living for Christ, not for the things of this world. It starts with you making a decision to turn away from your sin, put your faith in Jesus Christ, and let him be the one who starts to change your interaction, your present living situation with sin. And then as we follow him, these three things become true of us in our lives. In South America, um, the natives there uh, oftentimes will have problems with monkeys coming in and pillaging things. And so they've devised a trap to deal with catching these monkeys and then, you know, taking care of them. We'll just say it that way. And so what they do is they take a gourd or a coconut and and they, they drill a hole in it. And then they put some weight in it, like some rocks or pebbles or something. And then they'll put it where the monkey will find it, and they put a piece of fruit or some type of food in there that they'll like inside of the, the gourd or the coconut or whatever it is. So the monkey comes along and sees it and reaches in to get the food, and when he, but when he grasps the food, he can no longer get his hand out of the, out of the gourd. It, it's, the hole's too small. So he can't get his hand out because he won't release the food, and he can't pick it up because it's too heavy, and so he's stuck. And rather than release the treasure that he's now found, he traps himself and he loses his freedom as a result. Because he's come to love it too much. He's come to value, he he, he wants it too bad to let go. And so he gets stuck. That's a picture of us. That as long as we are holding on to the things of this world, the sin of this present evil age, as long as we're grasping it and we'll refuse to let it go, we are trapping ourselves in the sin of this world. And we are keeping ourselves from experiencing the freedom, the fullness of freedom that we can have in Jesus Christ. Because we won't release our sin. So many times I interact with Christians, and even myself at times, I'll just be completely honest this morning, it's all of us, it's me too, where we've got one hand on Jesus, we're like, yes, I want Jesus, I want to follow him, I want to I I be a Christian, but we've still got the other hand over here holding on to some sin in our life. And we're refusing to release it, and we're, we just can't let it go, we, we love it too much. We want it too much, and we won't release it, and so we get stuck. And we can't ever fully experience the freedom that Christ has for us because we're still holding on to the 
things of this present evil age. And as a result, we lose our freedom, just like the monkey. How does this present evil age continue to pervade my life? What's that look like for you? What sin are you still holding on to that you refuse to release? Because here's the reality, friends. As long as we're holding on to that, it's going to take prominence in our life. As long as I'm holding on to that, Christ can't be first because I'm still holding on to this thing that's blocking him. And all those around you, what they're going to see in you first is not Jesus. They're going to see your sin. Sure, you can hide it for a little bit. We can all play the, the cup game for a little while and keep it hidden. But eventually, it's going to be seen, and they're going to see that first before anything else. We have to release to experience the freedom of Christ first in our life. Live in Christ's deliverance. Live in Christ's power. And then thirdly and finally this morning, look at verse 3 again. It says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Point number three, live for God's glory, not my own. He says here, according to the will of God. Now, to be sure, this statement here, it does not portray God as some type of sadistic father who wants to torture his son and forces him to come and die on the cross. Because just prior to this, Paul just said, Christ gave himself for our sins, right? And so what we see here is actually a partnership between God the Father and God the Son where their wills are perfectly aligned in order to fulfill the perfect plan to save God's people. They had the perfect plan to rescue us, and they did it together. No matter the setbacks, no matter the rebellion, no matter the, the sin that we continue to pile up, they said, we got you. But I think a question that sometimes people struggle with on this is, is why? I've thought about it. Like, why? Why bother to rescue a bunch of humans who just continue to reject you? Why? Why not just scrap all of us and start over with a whole new creation that will actually obey and do what you've called them to do? Why not just wipe it clean? Why not just make some beans that don't have choice? If we don't have choice, then we can't choose to sin. We can't choose to rebel. We just have to do whatever God says do. Why not just do that? that seems, in my finite brain, that seems to make so much more logical sense. But you see, God's purpose is different. God created us. He created humans to experience worship to experience the love and the glory of an almighty God. And in order for love to happen, in order for worship to happen, choice has to be there. If I force you to do something, 
If I force you to love me, that's not love. Right? Choice had to be present for love to happen. For worship to happen. And that was God's ultimate purpose. Was that he would be glorified as we love and worship the one who has created us. And so when we mess that up, his solution was, no, not start over. His solution was, let me help you get there. Let me come alongside you and bring you where you need to be. So you can finally experience what I created you for. And that's why Paul ends with this. He says, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He breaks into this this burst of praise at the end of his greeting. He's saying, listen, God gets all the glory because God did all of the delivering. We did none of it. We bring nothing to the table. And so God gets all of the glory. It's his power. It's his plan. It's not ours. We don't achieve it. We don't earn it. We just receive it from His gracious hand. And His great salvation only comes by the grace through faith in the risen Jesus Christ. And friends, when our our hearts truly connect with that truth, when you finally get it, some of you know what I'm talking about because you lived years in the darkness, and then one day it clicked, and your eyes opened, and your heart got it, and you were like, yes. When that happens, we automatically turn to love and worship the God of the universe. We give Him all the glory. We live our lives for Him and for the gospel first. That's what Paul did. And so, again, last question today. Whose glory does the world see you living for? Moment to moment. I'm not talking about on Sundays. I'm not talking about in here. It's easy, right? Like we're all in here singing and lifting our hands and doing the thing. This is easy. But moment to moment, day to day, who does the world see you living for? Whose glory are you running after? Paul opened his letter with the most important thing. He's like, yeah, I'm Paul. By the way, let me tell you about the gospel. Or like, like he just like went all in from the very first sentence. But more than that, Paul put Christ first in everything in his life. Not just in his letter. This was him. This was him every day. He lived under God's power for his mission for his glory. And we can follow that example by putting the gospel first in our lives too. Live so they see Christ first. Is that true of you? Is there some other person? Is there some other organization? Some company or group or some other activity or some other thing that has more power and more authority in your life than Jesus does. When people look at you and they, if they were to describe you to someone else, how early in their list of identifiers would be the word Christian? 
or something similar. Opposed to all the other words they would use to identify you and describe you, how early is your faith going to show up on that list? Or is it going to be what sport you play or where you work or about your family or about your, how funny you are or whatever the thing is? What are you putting out there first for people to see? Are there any parts of this sinful world that you're still holding on to, that you're refusing to release, and that are holding you back from freedom in Christ? Whose glory are you living for day to day? Who's it really about? Is it about you? Or is it about Christ? Live so they see Christ first. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, God, we are so grateful that you took letters like this from Paul and you put them into a holy text, Lord, for us to hear, for us to read, for us to learn and grow in. God, we are so thankful, God, that you bring us to a place, Lord, where we can be freed from the things of this world, freed from our sin through the truth of your word. Most of all, Lord, we thank you for sending your son in your perfect plan to save us from our sin. Lord, you didn't give up on us. You came after us. Thank you for calling us, for saving us, for changing us day by day so we can live in victory with you, God. That's what we want. Help us, Lord, to live for your glory, not our own. Help us to put Christ first, put the gospel first. Every and every part of our life. Lord, may it be all about you. Pray all this in Christ's name.